John chapter 21. I love this chapter. It's like John finished in verse 31 of chapter 20. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believe you might have life in his name. It's kind of done, but he has to give us some explanations here because Peter was chosen to be the leader by Jesus, but he's been a huge failure. I believe that Peter has already talked to the Lord. He's seen the Lord. They've gotten his sin right. But the Lord's going to use this time to get Peter back on the horse. To show Peter he's not done with him yet. And to give Peter some hope about what God has planned for his life. Father, I pray that you give us understanding of your word today. Lord, pierce hearts. You say that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you today. Maybe they have religion, but they don't have you. Lord, that you convict them. Lord, that you would be their shepherd from today on. Today might be the day of their salvation. And Lord, convict us as believers about the things we grab onto that take us away from you. Lord, give us understanding of your word today. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher and that each one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, that we might be found obedient, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John Detai used to talk about football. And he'd say, football is simple. It's not easy. It's just simply tackling Blocking, running, and catching. Very simple. It's not easy. That's the Christian life. And if I was going to put a handle on this whole chapter, it comes down to two words. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Simple, isn't it? Just follow Jesus today. Today. You can only be found faithful today. Follow me. As I said, Peter had been chosen to be the leader, and he was the leader of this crew. He wasn't always the most spiritually understanding. Many times he spoke first and thought later, but he was a leader. And Jesus chose him for that. But things are different now. Jesus was with them every day, everywhere they went, sleeping awake, he was with them. Now in his glorified body, he's shown himself to them. He's not just a spirit that has arisen. They can touch him. He eats with them. But I believe what Jesus is doing is he's getting them used to him not being there. And what do they have to depend upon now? They have to depend upon his word. His word. Isaiah 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, They have no light. People accuse Bible Christians of being too narrow. That's right. We are this wide. The Bible says, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's here. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, 
in second is he writing to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter sixteen, three verse chapter three verse sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable today for instruction, for correction, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. So when you run into people in this day, you say, well, Paul had this problem, or he wasn't looking, or God was saying that then, but now. No, no, no. God knows the beginning from the end. His word is relevant today, and that the test of a person's belief is whether or not he sees it as important. Do you come to the scripture to bow down to the scripture, not to, to worship the Bible, but to bow down to God's word and say, God, I want to be obedient? Or do you come to the word and say, well, I, let me throw this out. I'm not comfortable with this. I don't like this part. It says a lot about what your faith is. See, those of us that have truly come to Jesus Christ, we see ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. Before we were slaves of sin, now we're slaves of Christ. And it's not the ten suggestions, it's commands. And the commands of Christ are not a burden to us, it's a joy. Here we have in chapter 21, a small group. That's what this is. The Lord used a small group to turn the world upside down for him. With the 12, and now the 11, because Judas is dead, he poured his life into them. Paul talked about his own ministry, one-on-one, life-on-life. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7, he said, as a nursing mother, I didn't just share the gospel with you, but I poured my life into you. What is small group like? Well, we've endeavored to teach what we want our small groups to look like. So if your small group is one guy gets up and teach or one girl and that's all that happens, that's not small group. Small group is life on life. I hope you spend some time in the word. But the point of small group starts with your life being effective in somebody else's life. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so man, so man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Is not to get together and get some more facts down How much of Christianity is full of that? Oh, here's some more facts, here's some more facts, here's some more facts. That's why our Sunday evening time is not a regular forever Sunday evening time. It's subjects. It's books of the Bible. And when that ends, then we'll take a break. And we'll do something else as the Lord leads us. It's not just, well, we got Sunday evening service all the time. I remember when we first uh, ceased having regular Sunday evening services, my dad said, oh, you don't have a Sunday evening service. Do you preach on Wednesday? I said, no, we have a small group. Whoa. I said, well, let me ask you this. Are, you, are your people applying everything they learn on Sunday morning and Sunday night and, su- and Wednesday night? Oh. See, that's the purpose of small group. So we get to the place where we're taking God's word and applying it to our life. And we're saying to one another, how's that going? Just to give you a, just a short strategy on how we desire our small groups to look. Our guys come together in my small groups, the ones that I'm a part of, and we start with fellowship. And the purpose of that fellowship is to find out where we should be praying for one another. And then we have prayer. We used to do prayer last, but guess what? Guess what gets left out when it gets too late? Prayer. Or we make it short. We'll just have one guy pray and then we'll leave. 
Oh, folks, we need prayer. We need to know, we need to know what God is doing. And so what we do is we are taking those requests and sometimes all we get to is prayer because somebody's carrying a burden, somebody is off track and we spend the time ministering to that fella and then we pray. And it's amazing when you put prayer in the right place how it affects what you're doing in your study of the word. Priorities. It shouldn't be just didactic. Well, one guy's lecturing. That's what I do, Okay. There might be times of teaching, but hopefully everybody comes having read the passage and having something to say. And I'll tell you, the newest believer can be a teacher because they have the Holy Spirit. And they have something to share and something to say, what God is doing in their life. But what happens in small group, I think, is the same thing that was happening with Peter. Now, they're here because the Lord told them to go to Galilee. And so they're there in Galilee. It was like our small group, which I'm sure it was, they were talking about one of the things that often comes up is politics, is it not? What are they doing now? And you know what? Our day is not unlike their day. The Romans were all about peace. And peace means, Pax Romana, is if you cause us trouble, we squash you. And Christians were of no consequence Christ was of no consequence as far as the Romans were concerned. The disciples have been through a lot. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet, but they've seen Jesus risen from the dead, but they saw everything they suffered, and I think they're probably very relieved. Lord said, okay, I want you to go to Galilee because they don't have to be in Jerusalem for this 40 days. So we know it's at least eight days later because they probably already traveled on to Galilee when Thomas finally shows up, and eight days later, it said we read it last week, the Lord showed up in their midst, and Thomas realized and believed that the Lord had raised from the dead. So sometime after that, don't know how long, maybe it's a week before the Lord goes back to glory, we don't know. The Lord would just show up. I believe Peter knows he's supposed to be the leader, but without the Lord, he's seen how he's failed, And I think he's looking for an out. So they're talking about the government. They're talking, I'm sure, about what's going on in Jerusalem and how dangerous it's going to be. And I think during the discussion, Peter's led to a decision. I'm not the guy. And I think the other guy's led to a decision too. If Peter's not the guy, we're certainly not the guy. So it says there that Peter says... I'm going fishing. Now, not, not all these guys are fishermen. Matthew's not a fisherman. I don't think Thomas is a fisherman. Nathaniel is from Cana. He's not a fisherman. We know that Peter and James and John are, and, and probably seven, I think seven of the disciples, um, as I was reading John MacArthur, were probably fishermen. But not all these guys are. But fishing is something that Peter knows. And I think with the discussion they've had and what they've seen and what they've been through and looking at himself without the Lord, he says, I'm going fishing. Joe Stoll, the past president of Moody Bible Institute, for years he was the president there. He's one of my favorite preachers. I just love to listen to Joe Stoll. And he has a message that I heard years ago called Little Nets. Little Nets. 
And that's of those things that we just know how to deal with. We just know how to use them. Peter knew how to use a net. Sometimes nets are sin, like anger. You know, things are going bad and we just revert to anger because, you know, especially as guys, we can get things moving with our anger, right? Get people hopping and listening to us. So we just grab that net and the sin. Sometimes in discouragement, we choose other sins. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just bypath meadow. Well, this is, I know how to do this, so I'm just going to back off and do what I do. And Joe Stoll said that Satan is always there with some little nets around every bush waiting for us to be discouraged, distracted, say, hey, hey, you know how this works. Just grab onto this, grab onto this. And we grabbed those nets and Peter grabbed his net and said, hey, I'm going fishing. And the rest of them said, we're going to. Now, something that I really like about this is if they were doing something they shouldn't have been and we don't have any information that they were, maybe just thought, hey, we got to pay some bills. But we know that they weren't doing the right thing because they fished all night and got nothing. And I think the Lord did that on purpose too. In John 15, 5, when Jesus was talking about the vine and the branches, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Get this. For without me, you can do nothing. Peter said, you know, that's a good plan the Lord had, but boy, I'm not, I'm not up for that. Maybe that's where you're coming to in your education. You know the Lord's calling you to something, but hey, I got this thing down. I put a lot of effort into this degree. We have a joke around here. If you're an engineering student, that's a pre-ministry degree. I don't know why that is, but we have a lot of guys in ministry that were uh, engineering students. I don't know if it's the Lord has a sense of humor or it's just that, you know, Engineers are very much about yes, no, here's the answer. It's, and, and so they look at the word of God and they find the same thing there. Truth. But you know the Lord's called you to something, but hey, Lord, I've got this figured out over here. And so Peter, I'm sure Peter's mind after talking to the fellas and working it out, he's like, you know, I can fish. You know, I'll, I'll give to the church, but I'm going to play it safe. I got this track over here. I could just take care of business, take care of my family. But if the Lord's not going to be around, the Lord knows I'm nothing without him. Look how I fared without the Lord right there. And he has absolutely no idea what life is going to be like with the Holy Spirit. And so he goes fishing. And they fish all night long, and the Lord shows up. Now, when the Lord showed up, something about whether he could cause their minds to not see who he was or just he could appear differently, I don't know. Something about his glorified body that you had to be spiritually have understanding to see that it was the Lord. See how I did that? And... John knew before Peter did it was the Lord, but the Lord's out on the, on the shore, and they're 100 yards offshore. Now, those of you that have been to Israel, you've been to this place. And there's, uh, Dr. Bookman tells us, and you can see it there, that there's this place right there, and it's, it's uh, not real deep there. It, it goes out like a lake does. 
but there's under the, the lake there, there's uh, some springs that come up that have some sulfur and different gases in it and it attracts fish. So they could fish very close to shore and it's a place they could catch fish. They're experienced fishermen, so they're casting their nets and they get nothing all night. And this fellow on the shore says, cast your net on the other side. First he says, have you got anything? You know, yeah, it's a fisherman that's been fishing all night. It's probably better not to say anything to him. Because if he's got something, he's going to show you. But, you know, they say, he says, fellas, you catch anything? He knows they haven't caught anything. When the Lord comes to you, convicts you, he already knows where you're at. Confession is just you agreeing with him. That's what confession of sin is. That's what confession of where you're at in your life is. Lord, you know where I'm at. But there's something about you admitting it that gets you back in fellowship with the Lord. And so they say, no. And the fellow on the shore says, cast your net on the other side. Now listen, they still didn't get it. There's only one guy that says things like that. That's the Lord. Yeah, there's fish on the other side of the boat, right? They still don't get it. And I don't know if it's because they're tired or they're saying, yeah, show this guy cast over here. Or they're just so tired, they're like, yeah, whatever, we'll try over there. Maybe they figured he saw a school heading that way. Hey, they're headed to, I don't know. But as soon as they cast the other side, the net was full. I think it was God's providence that they didn't catch anything all night. But I think it's a miracle that they got this big catch of fish. And it says they were big fish, not just a bunch of little ones, great fish. And another miracle is that the net didn't break. And as soon as they had the catch of fish, John says, hey, Peter, that's the Lord. And you love Peter's heart. He might have been a little slower, but man, he is not low on enthusiasm. He grabs his coat. He's been stripped of the waist. He grabs his outer garment and dives in the water. He has got to get to Jesus. How come? He was missing him. He knew what a failure he was. And I, and I think as they sat around talking, thinking about, the Lord says he's going away. He's chosen me to be leader? What, what, what is he, what's the Lord thinking about? I am nothing without him. And as they talked about the pressure from leadership and from Rome and the daunting task of taking the, what did the Bible say? We got to take the word everywhere? No. He made a decision from discussion, but it was the wrong one. Because he was making it based upon his flesh, not upon what the Holy Spirit was. And I love this about the Lord. We need to learn to be like the Lord. The Lord could look at somebody, and because he was God, he could see the future. But he also had this, this way of looking at people. He would see their potential if they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So often we get discouraged because we look at people where they're at now and say, oh, man. And we know the Bible says we're not supposed to pass judgment. We go, oh, I just don't know what the Lord can do here. Instead of looking at people and saying, what would they be like on fire? What would they be like filled with the Holy Spirit? What if God really got a hold of their heart and start praying that way? Looking at marriages that are just destroyed or just limping along. They've just said, well, it's the way marriage is, so we're just going to limp along this way. And just imagining with the Lord what that marriage would be like when it's resurrected from the grave. 
when both people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're operating that way, that's how the Lord looked at Peter. Peter dives in the water and he swims to Jesus. He just wants to be there. He wants to be close to him. Now what does he find when he's got there? Miraculously, the Lord already has some fish cooking and some bread baking on a fire. Took a picture of it. I have my phone if I knew how to do it. Jason could probably do it. I put a picture up here. It kind of cracks me up. But when you go to that place where Peter went swimming and the Lord was barbecuing, it says, you know, big circle with a thing through it, no swimming, no barbecuing here. I'm like, of all the things we could do right here that would be sympathetic with the Scripture, Catholic Church built a chapel and you can't go swimming. I guess they don't want to be drowned there. He gets up there, and the Lord doesn't say, hey, what are you fellas doing out here? I love how the Lord deals with people. It's, it's such an, an amazing example of how we ought to be dealing with people. I think it's 1 Timothy 2, 27. It says, the, the minister of the Lord must first be gentle. Peradventure. God might grant repentance to the person that is caught by Satan in his trap, taken, by, taken captive by Satan in his will. Peradventure, God might grant them repentance, and they can get escape from that. What happens when you want to see somebody restored, but you show up with an accusation or a judgment? Do they say, oh, thank you for judging me. Thank you for bringing that accusation. I am so thankful for that. And you respond, well, brother, I'm just trying to love you. That's why I brought this hammer. No. That's not how the Lord did. Jesus is wisdom personified. What we see in Proverbs chapter 16 in in several different ways is the wise man teaches his mouth persuasive words. And how is that? He asks questions. But first... He says to these fellas, hey guys, let's have breakfast together. Don't you love that? He's going to give them a great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But first he says, fellas, we need to eat. You've been working all night. You need something to eat. Come and dine. And he says, bring some of your fish. He's already got some fish. I think that was probably the best stuff he had made. Bring some of your fish too. It was such a great catch they had to count it. Somebody said there's something significant about 153 fish. I don't think so. I think they just counted them. That's how many there were. And they were big fish. And I think it was a quiet meal. I think Peter knew they weren't necessarily supposed to be finding a way to take care of themselves. The Lord had promised he was going to provide for them. But there they were doing it because that's what we do, isn't it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to lead the path. Prone to try to figure it out for ourselves rather than just trusting the Lord with all our heart. And so they ate this wonderful food. They were probably pretty quiet. And I'm sure Peter could have said if, if somebody accused him, well, hey, I've got a family to take care of. You can't expect me just to sit around and do nothing. The Lord didn't accuse But when we're dealing with people, there has to be some discussion, does there not? 
But eventually we have to get down to the root. So often we want to deal with the fruit of what's going on in their life. We see these bad things that have happened, but how did they get there? We talk about people falling into sin. They really don't fall into sin. They walk there on purpose. They step over off the path onto Bypath Meadow and they say, and this and this isn't that bad over here. That is the words that we use as Satan leads us astray with our own heart, our deceitful heart is, it's not that bad. What's so wrong with this, right? So we're on Bypath Meadow and we're walking. And it leads us right as Pilgrim's Progress, right to Giant Despair's Dungeon. Oh yeah, we walked into sin. We didn't fall. We walked into it. Because we're leaning on our understanding because we think it's up to us. Well, God takes care of everything else, but you know this stuff, I don't, I'll just, I don't need to check. I know how to fish. But the Lord takes it down to the root of the matter. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? What did he mean by that? Well, theologians don't all agree. Maybe he was saying, do you love me more than these other guys? You said you did before. You made this big statement about how you don't know about these guys, but Lord, I'll die for you. And he's the first one to run. First one to deny him. Maybe. But I think he was just talking about the fishing stuff. But ultimately, Peter got the message. And what was it? he was asking Peter is, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And what happens here is the Lord Jesus is recommissioning Peter to what he commissioned him for in the first place, and that is to be a shepherd to his church. So he says, Peter, tend my lambs. I was reading J. Vernon McGee, and J. Vernon McGee says, so often in the church, we talk about disciplining the young and feeding the old. He says everybody needs to be fed, but here he's talking about tending the little lambs, making sure they have what's necessary to get strong, feeding the lambs. Then he asked him, to be, again, Peter, do you love me? Now, Jesus is using the word, Peter, do you have agape love for me? Do you have that kind of love you said you did, that, that sacrifice everything for me love? And Peter comes back with, Lord, um, you, you know I have affection for you. And I don't know if Peter thinks the Lord is just really putting it to him to embarrass him, but he's getting the point. And he asks him again, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, I love you. He said, then I want you to shepherd my sheep. That's what pastoring is. I want you to discipline the flock. I want you to lead the flock. I've called you to be a leader of the flock. Later, Paul, when Peter writes his epistle before he dies, he writes not as an apostle. He writes as a pastor. He says, as a fellow elder, I tell you, other elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Feed and lead. That's, that's pastoring. Feed and lead. Feed and lead. Protect. Three jobs of a pastor. How do you do that? With the word of God. 
And then he asked Peter a third time, Peter. And he, and he brings the word down to Peter's level. Okay, so Peter, you have great affection for me? And Peter, he's, he's getting it now. And I, I'm sure among the seven that are there fishing, he's feeling, okay, I deserve this. I let everybody else out here. And so I'm the one that denied the Lord. But it says it grieved his heart. The Lord had to ask him three times. But he finally responds with a great response. And he said, Lord, you knew all things. I can sit here all day and talk about my affection for you, but you know my heart. You know how much I love you. And he says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to lead. And then he gives them an example because he can see what Peter's going to become full of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Peter, you're going to be so faithful. You're going to be crucified for your faith. He said, now you're strong. Because when he said, hey, bring some of your fish. Peter went down by himself, 153 large fish, grabbed the net. and gra- I think that was maybe, I don't know, maybe John was saying, listen, Peter was slow than me. He was slower than me. Remember chapter 20. John, I, I, I passed him up. I got there first. Peter was strong. You know, I was thinking about that this week. I think the Lord enjoyed that. Watching Peter. I can do that for you, Lord. And he grabbed that fish and he pulls it up there and the rest of the guys are like, Whoa. how come the Lord enjoyed that? Because the Lord made him that way. big, strong, fearless fisherman. But now, being what he'd been through, they, they'd suffered some. They'd been afraid. They're in hiding. Peter, I want you to leave. Peter, you're going to be so fearless for me that one day, now you're, you're young and you go where you need to go, but one day, you're going to get carried where you don't want to go and they're going to stretch out your arms and you're going to die for me. Now, the Lord could see that Peter's heart was going to be a different place, but Peter couldn't see it. He could not imagine that kind of faithfulness yet. Just could not imagine it. Listen, God's calling some of you to ministry. I don't know who you are. I don't know hearts. God does. And you're questioning it, and you're saying, Lord, ah, mm, no. That's for other kind of people. I just finished reading a book. Probably a lot of you girls have read it. Kisses for Katie. Young woman, 18 years old, with a heart for Africa. She just goes there. She begs her parents, I just have to go there. Doesn't have any education, just has a love for the Lord. And the things that young woman writes in that book blow my mind. Her parents, everybody are like, hey, you know, you do... You know, you've got a whole life to live. What are you doing? Throwing your life away like that. You can let people talk you into thinking that giving your life to the Lord and just opening up to do whatever the Lord calls you to do is wasting your life. But I'll tell you something, it's not. And whenever you just distract from that, just come off that path a little bit, you are sacrificing your opportunity for joy. For joy. Peter doesn't get it. His first response in the flesh is, what? Crucify? What about John? 
Isn't that your reaction? My reaction? Suffer? Well, what about the one you love, huh? What about him? And Jesus says this. Listen, Peter. If I decide he should live till I come back the second time, that's none of your business. Oh, I love that. Don't be distracted by other people. What has the Lord called you to do? You. Then he gives them those two simple words. Peter, don't worry about John. You follow me. You follow me. What is that? That's today. That's one step at a time. The old gospel song says, I don't know about tomorrow. May bring me poverty. I don't know what's coming. But I can't be faithful yesterday and I can't be faithful tomorrow. I can only be faithful today. Today. You're going to have decisions all of your life. And the human flesh natural reaction is, I got this, Lord. I know how this one works. There's going to be a lot of people. And, and, and you have that little voice. Some of you, every time you hear about missions, you break out in hives, right? Oh, there's a lot of lost people here too, right? You know, <laughs> you throw a rock in the middle of a pack of dogs, the one that yelps, the one that got hit, right? I know there's a lot of lost people here. And I know it's easier to stay here just because you're used to this. Just like Peter was used to fishing. And he didn't have any idea how the Lord was going to work to make him something that he had no idea how the Lord was going to do that. And so his first reaction is, what about John? What's, he, I gotta, I, what's what John got to do? That's something we've got to learn all of our life. Don't worry about what God's called somebody else. What has God called you to? What is he calling you to? Don't be afraid. When that fear begins to rise, you need to memorize that verse of Scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, say, I just know how the Lord's going to do that. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who calls you, he will will also bring it to pass. I love that. Not about you. God's called you to something, and so you start figuring it out financially, right? Well, we're going to do this, and when this happens, we pull together. And you know, sometimes what God loves to do is just blow on that stuff and make it all go away. And you go, okay, Lord, there's no way. Exactly right. There's no way in your flesh you're going to make this happen. So quit trying to figure it all out. You're missing the joy. What is one day at a time? Philippians chapter 2. After Paul wrote the Philippians, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He just humbled himself, right? Became obedient. And he said, that voice, that works in you. He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for it. He said, work it out. What is that? A day at a time. Then he explains it. Because that's God in you. He's working that you might will and do of his good pleasure a day at a time. One day at a time. He said, follow me.
Are you available? That's all God asked for. You know, God gives you a joy. He gives you an anticipation and an eagerness about what his will is. If he says, well, if I say I'll do anything the Lord wants me to do, he's going to make me go to India. And they got those big king crobies there, and I hate them, and I hate bugs. And you know, I'd love to help the people, but I'm just not built for the tropics. Mm-hmm. You didn't build you, did you? Peter said, Lord, I, I'm not built for that. I'm built for fishing. You can see I can haul fish in. You help me. We can do some mighty fishing. I can really provide for the church just through my fishing business. He said, no, Peter, you follow me. Follow me. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it's not very long after this. Peter and John and James and the apostles, they're preaching. And all these people get saved. And then here comes the persecution. And they threaten them. And they said, you better stop this. And Peter stands up and he said, you got to do what you got to do. We know this. We're going to serve the Lord. They said, but if you don't stop, this is going to cost you. And he says, no, no, we have to obey the Lord. And then went back, gathered the church together, told God about those wicked leaders. They had a prayer meeting, and then there was a small localized earthquake. It says God shook the place, and they were all what? Praying for boldness, and God gave them boldness. You know what the great thing? They were all rejoicing with the Lord that they were kind of worthy to suffer. You know what I think Peter's joy was? Knowing what he was like after small group there at Galilee, knowing that Peter's not as tough as he used to think he was, knowing that Peter is nothing apart from the Lord, But filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter found out he could be a mighty weapon in the hand of God. And he knew that God got all the glory for that, not Peter. Not Peter. When he was rejoicing, he was rejoicing in the Lord. He probably had a little permitting himself saying, Lord, did you see that? You know me. Did you see that? What did the Lord told him? Lord said, they're going to haul you before coat before the courts, you don't have to think about what you're going to say. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. And Peter could say, oh, Lord, thank you. I would have never thought of that on my own. That was pretty quick, wasn't it, Lord? Did you see the boldness of that guy? Who was that? The Holy Spirit changes everything. Sometimes we stand outside of obedience and we get it all worked out. And we say, well, Lord, that, that, that just can't work. If I stand for you on the job, I'll lose my job. If I make a decision, Lord, that's life-altering, Lord. And you know, you gave us a brain, and, and, and I'll just kind of manage things. Paul wrote, says, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. Therefore, I glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. But you think, after Peter was nailed to that cross and went home to be with the Lord, that he said to the Lord, Lord, what happened there? Huh? No. 
I think D.L. Moody's the one that said, the world is yet to see what God will do with a life that's totally dedicated to him. Well, I think we have an example with the apostles. They went everywhere preaching the word. And the testimony of the Gentiles, the unbelievers, were these men have turned the world upside down. What, this small group? You know, it started with the discussion. Jesus talked to Peter and he got down to the root. Do you love the Lord? Easy to say, yeah, I love you. But Jesus said, okay, then follow me. Are you following him? Because then he calls them to that decision. It's time to walk. Time to walk. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know how you've gifted this amazing congregation. We see so much giftedness and so much ministry, but Lord, we know we're just beginning. And Lord, what you're looking for in our life is availability. You have saved us on purpose. You have gifted us for a purpose and for ministry. And Lord, I think there are so many that are missing out on the joy of really being in that place of service. Lord, lift our heads. Lord, fill our lives. Give us that desire to be in that place. So that one day when we stand before you, we will hear every one of us, well done. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.